0: Good morning. Well, it's been a long week, and we're just getting started. In your bulletin, there is an insert, and I hope you will read that. But it's uh, very likely that next Sunday we will be in a position where we need to live stream situation with coronavirus, COVID-19 is changing not just daily but hourly. As of yesterday my official word on the number of cases in Tulare was three and in a way that is in part, they'll put that up for me in a moment, why um, at the beginning, in the middle of the week, we felt like we could safely get together with some of these precautions, responsible precautions in place. Uh, but by next week, not so sure, and we're working. I don't know what you'll see if we uh, let you know of a, of a live streaming cast uh, broadcast of our service and and what time that will be and so forth. It might just be me sitting in an easy chair with TJ and his guitar next to me, I don't know. But uh, we'll let you know. And uh, that brings me to something I want you to do, please. Yes, you're free to do whatever you want, um, but I want you to do something that I think would be good for you. On the inside panel, the back page of your bulletin, you'll see a little icon of a cell phone, like this cell phone. Little picture, but a little different graphic on the face of it. And that tells you how you can become a part of our um, of our mobile alerts. We can text you mobile information And that way we can stay connected when our government wants us to stay disconnected. And we want to be uh, here for you, not just here geographically, but here in the sense of wherever you need us, even if you contract the virus or you're just... uh, homebound and self-quarantined with a flu and a bad cold or something worse. We want to know about you. You have the information of how to contact us, but we want up-to-date information. And the texting or mobile texts are a very convenient way to let you know about an emergency, to let you know about a prayer request or anything else. And uh, it's, it's not a flood of them, so... I hope you'll do that. Also, if you have a suspicion that your phone number or your email address has been updated and we do not have it, or just to be safe, would you call in this week and give us that updated information because we communicate through those three ways, text and uh, email and even phone calls. So hope you'll do that. That's very important for us to stay connected uh, as, a, as a church, some of you are on social media and it's likely that you have uh, read what Martin Luther wrote back in 1527 during the bubo- bu- bubonic plague. I had my boo bu- bu- boo boos uh, a little out of whack there. <clears throat> this was a circular, that is, it was an open letter to churches throughout Germany. And I want to read this excerpt, even though the entire article, uh, the, really it's got the girth of a small pamphlet. It would be uh, uh, probably about 13 pages uh, in a good-sized book. But the, toward the end, I have a PDF of the complete thing, and um, it would be the sixth of eight or nine pages. Down at the bottom, he says this, I will ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I will fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I will avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others if my neighbor needs me however I will not avoid place or person but will go freely as I said this is such a God-fearing faith that we have because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. I thought you would appreciate that. I could even probably send that whole PDF to you if you wanted it. So if, there, if you, a bunch of you call in, we'll see that you get it. I want to say a little bit about the coronavirus, because do you, how many of you feel you're well... Schooled on the coronavirus. Can I see your hands? Good. I'm glad to hear that. This is from Kent McLean, who passed on information to me from Stanford Hospital. This first bank of uh, things that I want to share with you is um, from a Stanford hospital. Made you jerk, didn't I? Um, this information on the uh, screen behind me was from an article from Daniel Chin, who uh, was with the World Health Organization in China during the SARS break outbreak, and for a month, around the clock, worked with uh, the World Health Organization to combat that outbreak. And then he joined the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, fighting disease and the spread of virus uh, through that foundation around the world. In 2015, he moved back from China to... he moved from China to Seattle with his wife uh still a part of the Gates Foundation but he's been working with churches and he wrote a fairly lengthy article from which this uh, panel on the screen is from and which around the middle of the, way, the week I used to help decide along with others in a lot of consultation as to whether we we should meet this this Sunday but I'm not sure In fact, I'm very doubtful that we should meet next Sunday as much as I would like. And the church means very much to me. But uh, your safety, and not just ours. You see, I want to share some things from a Stanford Hospital board member and then also from a doctor, which I, I think we all need to hear because I have not heard this in any other account. First uh, of ten in this first bank of things, I want you to know the coronavirus pneumonia is a dry cough with no runny nose. Second, this new virus is not heat resistant, it will be killed by a temperature of just 80 degrees. It hates the sun. Third, if someone sneezes with it, it takes about 10 feet before it drops to the ground and is no longer airborne. Four, if it drops on a metal surface, it will live for at least 12 hours. So if you come in contact with any metal surface, wash your hands as soon as you can with a bacterial soap of some kind. On fabric, it can survive for 6 to 12 hours. Regular, regular laundry detergent will kill it. Uh, drinking warm water is effective for all viruses. Try not to drink liquids with ice. Seven, wash your hands frequently. Not just regularly, frequently. I'm, I bet I wash my hands 15 times a day now. And I'm not even around people. When you you wash your hands, say the Lord's Prayer. Don't sing happy birthday. (laughs) Wash your hands frequently as the virus can live on your hands for five to ten minutes. And a lot can happen in five to ten minutes. You can rub your eyes, pick your nose unwittingly, and so on. I haven't um, edited this email. I figured you were not too fragile. You should, number eight, also gargle as a prevention. A simple solution of salt in warm water will suffice. I'm sure uh, Listerine would also work. Nine, and I can't emphasize enough, drink plenty of water. And ten, if you have a runny nose and sputum, you have a common cold. Now, here are ten ten symptoms and possible remedies from Dr. Don Colbert, M.D. It will first infect the throat, so you'll have a sore throat lasting three to four days. That's a telltale. The virus then blends into a nasal fluid that enters the trachea and then the lungs, causing pneumonia. This takes about five to six days further. And see, that's important to appreciate. And you've probably picked it up because you can be a carrier. You can be asymptomatic and already carrying the the virus. And it will manifest itself over a course of 10 to 12 days. But in that time, you can infect a lot of people that you don't want to infect. Or you can contaminate things, surfaces that others may touch, and therefore be contaminated. And that's why, even though we want to continue to just rally around the Lord, we may not be able to for a period of time. And yet, we need to stay connected. And your staff, your pastoral staff, will be at your side to help in any way we can. A third thing that he mentions is with pneumonia comes a high fever and difficulty in breathing. He goes on to say nasal congestion is not like the usual kind. You feel like you're drowning. It's imperative you then seek immediate attention. Everyone should ensure your mouth and throat are moist Never dry. Take a few sips of water every 15 minutes at least. Why? Even if the virus gets into your mouth, drinking water or other liquids will wash it down through your throat and into your stomach. Once there, your stomach acid will kill the virus. If you don't drink enough water more regularly, the virus can enter your windpipe and into the lungs And that is most dangerous so I hope those things are a little bit of help and my visual aids you know it's a good time to be in the letter of Paul to the Philippians turn to Philippians I'm calling the series as citizens and that will be clear over time, and it will come out at times. If you read through the letter with the notion of citizenship as kind of an idea or an underlying theme or something that they're so proud of that Paul might appeal to their citizenship, Uh, that heading or title of this series will make sense to you. Uh, Let me read to us from the very opening of Paul's letter and before I do I just want you to know that in my opinion I think Paul knows he's very near the end of his ministry just try I know that's hard for some of us to think about I mean we can we can grasp it intellectually maybe some who are a little older here in the room would be able to speak to this. uh, Because you would know what it's like to come to the end of something. And when we think of Paul coming to the end of his ministry, we're talking about not just his life's work, but a work that he believes, and rightly so, And work that he is taking the lead in because he was commissioned by the Lord himself to go to the ends of the world to fulfill the Great Commission and therefore to make maximum impact on the world that's his mission that's that's what his mission is and that's what I believe he sees coming to an end because he's in prison it's quite possible i believe he's in prison in rome and i have looked at all both sides of the issue and even waffled on that a couple of times but i'm i'm pretty convinced at this point in my academic career that paul is in prison in rome we know from first and second timothy that at at some point, Paul had had a trial. You may recall, Paul traveled all over that, at that time the Roman world telling people about Jesus Christ. And after he had made a third journey through the Mediterranean, he went back to take a collection to Jerusalem from the Christians to help their brothers and sisters in Christ and the church of Jerusalem and beyond. And, while he was there, he was arrested for his Christianity, to put it simply. And he would have been in a heap of trouble. But Paul was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, every Roman citizen has the right to appeal to the emperor, the ruler of Rome, Caesar, himself and that's what Paul did and so he's in prison in Rome and whether he's awaiting his second trial or his first in other words if his first has already occurred during that time he wrote Timothy later he says uh, nobody was there with me I stood alone everybody abandoned me So imagine a man who picks up, you know, his quill, and he begins to write a letter. What's on his heart? What matters to him? And who does he write? He writes the Philippians because he calls them partners. He calls them sharers. And he has a lot to be grateful for them, to them for. They, they sent to Paul Epaphroditus to be with him. To stay with him and help him. They, they sent financial help. They showed him all kinds of support. And Paul is extremely grateful. And that really comes out. In fact, he identifies a number of things in this letter. Which tells us something about where he's at in his imprisonment. But I'm not sure he thinks he's going to get away. Death is very real to him in this letter. Very real. Very close. Very much at hand. In the time it takes him to, for this letter to get to the Philippians, he could be dead. And so I want you to appreciate that. And I'll tell you why. The Philippian church is the child that will outlive Paul. The Philippians are the tomorrow of God's good news and the mission of Paul. We can all identify with that. If we imagine who will be my child of faith When I'm gone. Who will I have poured my life into? Or even if you think of your husband or wife or your child or your parent or your friend. What impact have I made for Christ? What will that person that I cherish, that I feel is closest to me. What will that person take beyond me? When I cannot take it myself. That brings this letter alive to me because it's very powerful when you think that Paul is trying to prepare them still for the good things that God is doing in and through them that brings joy to his heart. And that's what we see here in this letter opening. Let me read it at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the good news from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion up to the very day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, or I keep you in my heart. For you are all partakers, or partners, or sharers with me in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. To the glory and praise of God. You know, it was uh, Jesus who said, "A house divided cannot stand." It was Abraham Lincoln who read Jesus, and in the midst of uh, the great Civil War of our of our nation, said. The house divided cannot stand. Each was talking about different things, but it speaks of one great reality the strength of a home, the strength of a team, the strength of a company, the strength of a nation, even the strength of a marriage. Strength of a friendship? Certainly the strength of a church is unity. Not numbers, unity. Numbers can be just as many that are disunited, it just makes the disunity greater. Unity is the mark of the church. In fact, I've been thinking about it. I don't think you can have a church without unity. Not the church. Because at the heart of the church is God's holy spirit, his very presence. His very presence is in the church, in each person that make up that church, and where the spirit is at work, where the lord is recognized that creates unity spirit doesn't war with spirit god doesn't war with god christ doesn't war with christ the richer word for unity is kinship kinship we don't use that word very more very much anymore Um, You know, I want to introduce you to my kin. When was the last time you heard that? that Except maybe in a movie or something. But it's a really good word. In fact, kin are those who are kind in the sense of being of the same sort as oneself. In fact, the word kind as kindness or empathy or any kind of mercy that you would show to another person comes from the fact that we are of a kind, and I know how to care for you. I, well, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, See, because of you, you are kind, you are alike. And so it is that uh, being like oneself is a great source of kinship. We have a kinship in Christ that surpasses any kind of likeness or kindness there is. We'll talk more about that as time unfolds over this series, I'm sure. But Paul said that we are to be of one mind, having the same love and being united in spirit. He says that in Philippians 2, verse 2. Because we are one in Christ. And that really is the basis for the unity uh, of this this, uh, epistle, and why I have called it uh, as citizens, because as citizens, uh, people are united, or supposed to be. There's a kinship with citizenship, and the Philippians took Considerable pride in their citizenship. In fact, in this very chapter, verse 27 through 30, Paul directly appeals to them using a, a very technical term regarding being a citizen. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Those are powerful words. I'll talk more about the Philippian citizenship, it's really quite interesting. But for our purposes, as citizens of these United States, as they were of Philippi, having a special connection to the emperor of the entire Roman Empire, uh, we can use as a benchmark Forms of kinship, whether it's citizenship or family or friendships. You know, I'm closer to Christians than I am some in my own family because of that kinship that we have in Christ. And that's what Paul wants to bring to the fore. So unity is really the theme as citizens unite And I want us to see three things. We are joined in God's work or by God's work. We are joined together in or by God's thinking and together in and by God's love. And I'm going to speak very briefly about these things. In verses 3 through 6, Paul opens with this gush of gratitude. And boy, I can understand why he's grateful. Not only should he be grateful for the Philippians, but why he is grateful. And I'll tell you why he's grateful. It doesn't have anything to do with what the Philippians have done. It has more to do with what Paul recognizes. Paul names over and over again things that he is grateful for. You see, if you don't name it, you're not going to experience gratitude. A lot of people in our world today are just swimming in the goodness of others, in good fortune, in lucky breaks, in the help of others. Uh, where they were born, into what family they were born, the privileges of their parents, and so forth. But they don't recognize it. It's what we say when we say someone is spoiled. That is, is a spoiled person is an ingrate. Ingratitude. No gratitude. Why would someone be an ingrate? Because they expect it. And they have no eye for it. They're shocked if it's missing. But they're not thankful when it's there. It's just supposed to be there. And that's not Paul. And that really shouldn't be any one of us as Christians. We ought to be the most thankful people. That's why at every prayer, we really ought to sincerely give thanks. When we pray in Jesus' name, or we say Amen. Those are all recognitions and acknowledgments of God's goodness. When we were in James, James said, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We should be bursting with gratitude. The beautiful thing here was that Paul encouraged the Philippians by expressing that gratitude. He helped them see what God was doing in their lives. Listen to what I'm saying because this is really important. By showing gratitude to them, he was helping them see what God was doing in them and through them. And that's the crescendo that crescendo that we get to, crescendo, that's another product altogether. <clears throat> that's the crescendo that Paul crescendo that Paul gets to in verse 6 when he says, "I'm convinced of this." I'm sure of this. I have no doubt God is at work in you, actively. And he's not going to stop until Jesus comes again. That's what he's saying to them. You see, there's a real power in gratitude. And it's a yin-yang kind of thing. I really want you to understand this if you don't see God at work in your life in all kinds of ways, working through other people, if you're not cultivating a grateful heart, you're not recognizing God's grace because that's what gratitude is. It is the acknowledgement or recognition of God's gifts and grace in your life. And that comes in all kinds of forms. There are windfalls, yes, but a lot of people, a lot of help, a lot of love, a lot of encouragement. When you're down, others pick you up. That's grace. But also, when you're seeing it, you're realizing God's at work. He's not way over there. He's not on the other side of the world. He's not working with those privileged or special people of that color or that color or that economic bracket. It doesn't have anything to do with that. We have a God of grace. This whole enterprise began with His grace. We call it the creation. Perfect. Good. Excellent. We have a God of excellence and He is... He didn't just keep it to Himself, He pours it out. And that's what Paul is impressing upon them in verse 6. He says, I am grateful. I see God doing so many things in you. And yes, it is such a blessing to me. You're partners with me in this. We are in this together. We are a team. I do think in our modern culture, if you've experienced a good team, whether it be at work or at church, you've experienced something rare. Because in our world, that sense of we're in this, we're harmonious, we have one mission, we are striving toward the goal, or whatever the objective is, that's something that we can have and do have in our church. And it's something we should cherish and contribute to and be a part of. And foster, foster, foster that. Because at the heart of grace and God's work in our lives. I was reminded this week, it was some years ago, that... um, I don't know how many of you are baseball fans. I happen to be a baseball fan. This was in the 80s, the mid-80s, and uh, it was an all-star game, and it was held in a National League park. For those of you not familiar with baseball, baseball has uh, uh, two conferences uh, in their league, and one is American and one is the National League. There are subtle differences, but the biggest difference is that in the American League, the pitcher doesn't pitch. He has someone go to bat for him called the designated hitter, the DH. In the National League, there's no DH. All the pitchers have to bat. They, they're in the, the, the rotation of the team, just like everybody else. Well, when they had the... All-Star game, they were playing in a National League park, and that meant they had to play by National League rules. And the American League pitcher had to bat, and he had never batted in the major leagues. And he was, he was their starting pitcher, which means he's usually the pitcher with the, with the best arm, the best ball in baseball. And he stood at the plate, and that first pitch, which was thrown by Dwight Gooden, some of you might remember who he was, he was the National League Conference ace. He blew that ball by the, by the pitcher, and he's, he turned to the catcher, and he said, Do I throw that fast? And the catcher said, You sure do. Well, he was struck out in three pitches. Pitchers don't hit very well, as a rule. But he took something from that, and when he went out back to the mound, he had such a confidence that he had never known as a pitcher. He realized how fast, through personal experience, through, in a sense, being shown how fast he could throw, that personal experience really gave him just great confidence as he threw, and he threw three innings of perfect baseball, not just hitless, but perfect baseball, and was awarded the MVP for that year's All-Star Game. Now, I bring that up because sometimes we're just tooling along here in church, and somehow we got to get you to bat. So we can show you how God is at work in your life. Because if you realize God is using you, it will build you in confidence. The same confidence that Paul said he had. He says... I am confident that God is at work in you. That doesn't mean tomorrow or just on Sundays or after you do a lot of things that you think spiritual people do that maybe you're not doing. No, you just need to get on board and start realizing God is at work in you. And He works from the inside out. He starts to work inside you in your heart, in your attitude, in your outlook, And it starts to manifest itself in your countenance, in your your spirit, in the words you use, the actions. It's a beautiful thing. We're joined together in and by God's work. And we gather together so we can see that work in one another and put that work to work in the midst of one another. That's very important. Second, he says, we're joined together in and by God's thinking. And here, this is really interesting to me. Verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all one sentence in Greek. Crazy, huh? But this is kind of the crescendo of what Paul was saying. And what he says is, it is right for me to think this way about you. And think about that a second all the things Paul has set up until this point, and then he caps it with, it's right for me to think this about you. Why is it right? In fact, he uses a word that he wouldn't normally use. I mean, right, 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 right. But he uses a word which is translated generally, just. Justice. Righteousness. In other words, Paul is using it in a kind of casual setting, but it's a loaded term. In other words, this is the right way to talk about what God's doing in your lives and what you are doing for Christ. And somebody has to put words to these things, and you need to hear it. And you need to be thinking it too. Paul says, I have this mind. The word mind occurs continually through Philippians. He wants them to have this mind. He may not be here tomorrow. And if your minds are not set on Christ, and if you're not thinking the good news, the good things of God, how many of us, we go to get our band-aid on Sundays, our fix, our TED talk. I'm trying to be a better speaker, but I know some people just, you know, they want something kind of comical and a pick-me-up, something, you know, to help them get through the day, get through the week. There's something deeper that we're talking about here. And we've got to own it in a way that it doesn't depend on just me talking, but it does depend on us gathering together and talking to each other and saying the truth and saying the things that are real about what God's doing in your life and calling us to the higher things of God that He wants to do in and through you that we may have to do apart with our neighbors, with the people in our lives. And we need to carry that truth with us. Paul says, he says, I'll tell you who will vouch for what I'm saying. God Himself. I love you, he says, with the, with the love of Jesus Christ Himself. He uses a word that isn't usually, it's translated all kinds of ways. Nobody knows, but I'll tell you, it's a stronger word than love. Because he, he uses the word viscera, or guts. It wouldn't sound very good. I, You know we may not be together for a few weeks like this i'm gonna miss you because i love you well that sounds one way whatever i said um, my belly aches for you or my viscer i have the viscera of jesus for you not quite the same but to them very powerful. And he says, I can call God as a witness. You can't bear witness that I love you with the very love of Jesus himself, but God will come and he'll be my witness. That's a high highfalutin love, isn't it? That's, aga- that's agape love with some mustard and ketchup on it. Yeah. We are joined together in God's thinking, and we need to be thinking the right things, the loving things. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 and 9, you'll see what the kinds of things Paul's talking about. Have this mind in you. Set your mind on these things, he will say again and again. He wants to prepare them when Paul isn't in a place to come after them. And then the last thing, we're joined together in and by God's love. He says uh, in verse 9, this is the heart and soul of my prayer. Think about it. If you're going to pray one thing, what are you going to pray? Paul says, I'm going to pray that you would love more and more and more and more. It would be a growing love. And he gives us two reasons in verse 9 and 10, that no one else will have anything against you. And that you yourself will know you've pleased God in every way. Growing in love will enable you to discern what is best, what really counts through knowledge and insight. You know what that means? I'm just going to tell you this and then I'm going to close in prayer. Knowledge is knowing the Certainly you've got to know God, the Word, and Jesus, but knowing here is to know the person that you're trying to love and then show insight into the circumstances that you will be able to love them as, as God himself would have you love them. That's a very practical understanding of that love. He wants us to be loving, loving, loving in so many situations and with so many different people that we will grow in knowledge and insight and our love will be more and more like that of Jesus Christ. And we as a church will make a greater impact on the world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And when we think of your love, we think of your Son, the incarnation, the revelation, the fulfillment of love. We pray, Father, that through Your Spirit we might be energized and drawn to where You can work through us as well as in us to love others around us that You bring into our lives or we, You bring us into theirs And we can serve them in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his matchless name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.